People talk about using fish oil, but where the omega-3s come from in fish down the food chain is actually from marine phytoplankton algae, which is is, is plant-derived. So they're all plant-based. We don't think of vegetables having fat in it, but they do. It's not very much, but there is fat, and it's primarily in the form of omega-3 fatty acids. Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. Vegans and Omega-3s. Oh my. There is a lot of chitter-chatter about omega-3s and plant-based diets, with singer and actress Miley Cyrus stunning the plant-based community by announcing that she has transitioned to a pescatarian diet. During an appearance recently on the Joe Rogan podcast, she said, quote, I was vegan for a very long time, but I've had to introduce fish and omegas into my life because my brain wasn't functioning properly. So that then begs the question, is Cyrus singing the right key here, or is her thinking on this a little bit flat? That's what we're going to discover today with Dr. Jim Loomis. Plus, he's going to be sticking around to answer a mess of your nutrition questions. We're talking about omega-3s and vitamin Ds and vitamin Cs, any nutrient that you please Class will be in session and we're going to cover a lot of ground. So bust out your paper and your pens because Dr. Loomis does not skip on the answers. They are, in fact, quite filling. But first, the question is, is it possible for vegans to get enough omega-3s in their diet without resorting to fish? And if so, how do you do it? For that, we're going to talk to Dr. Jim Loomis. He is the medical director from the Barnard Medical Center and the man featured in the Game Changers documentary. Dr. Loomis, welcome to the program, my friend. Thanks, Chuck. Once again, happy to be here. You are the man. Now let's start from the top. And first, before we get into sources of omega-3s, let's start with what omega-3s actually are and what role they play in our health. So uh, omega-3 fatty acids... Um, there's two major types of, of, uh, of, of long-chain fatty acids. There's omega-6 fatty acids, omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-6 fatty acids are the precursors for, for, for uh, substances in our bodies like leukotrienes and prostaglandins, which, which create primarily inflammation. And omega-3s are the precursors for, for compounds that are anti-inflammatory. Now, remember, we, we do need to have some inflammation because we need to fight infections and heal wounds and, and, and things like that. And in fact, we, we have an evolutionary preference for omega-6 fatty acids. Um, and it's uh, because inflammation was important to keep us around that we could find our next, next meal um, before we starve to death. Um, and it's felt that the optimum dietary ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, as best as we can tell, is, is less than five to one probably in the two to three to one range, omega-6 over omega-3. Um, and um, so it's about finding that kind of balance between inflammation and anti-inflammatory. Um, if you look at the omega-6 intake in kind of a standard Western diet um, or an unhealthy vegan diet, which 
which includes a lot of vegan junk food and fried foods and edible oils and, and things like that, or meat and dairy. Um, you, you can see omega six, omega three ratios in the in the to one range. So, so these diets are can be highly inflammatory. Um, and you know, again, the omega threes, besides being anti, besides being anti-inflammatory, also play a role in you know nerve health, brain health. Um, um, in a variety of other um, uh, parts of our physiology. Um, so, you know, the key is, is, is to, to be truly healthy. The key is, is to not only ensure you get enough omega-3 in your diet, but it's also being sure that you're not over-consuming the omega-6. So that, that balance, again, that balance, that ratio is in that kind of two to five to one range. Can you overdo it with omega threes? Is I know that there's some talk uh, about that with some other vitamins. Like too much is too much. Is that the case with omega threes? Yeah, I don't know of any research to suggest that that overconsuming omega threes is is somehow harmful. Um, you know, the the, the the here here's part of the problem with with even omega three supplementation. And we can talk a little bit more about plant based versus fish oil and where omega threes come from in just a minute. But one of the problems we have is, is that um, typically what we ingest in our food are the short chain fatty acids. So it's um, alpha linoic acid and linoleic acid on, on each side of that equation. And those get elongated uh, through, a, through a series of inter, intermediate um, compounds to arachidonic acid on the omega-6 side, which is the precursor to the actual inflammatory um, uh, prostaglandins and leukotrienes. And on the omega-3 side, uh, they get elongated to DHA and EPA. And those are the precursors for the anti-inflammatory compounds. But it turns out that the enzymes that, that elongate these fatty acids, are they compete for each other's attention. It's the same enzymes. And because we have an evolutionary preference for inflammation, when we over-consume these omega-6s, we can't, even if you have an adequate intake of omega-3s, you still can't um, convert all of them to, you can't convert all the omega-3 you ingest to these uh, anti-inflammatory compounds. So there's kind of two sides to the equation here. I know we're, we're focusing here on, on how do you get plenty of omega-3s, but it's very important to understand that you also need to uh, minimize or, or decrease your omega-6 intake. Now, all of these are actually plant-derived, as a matter of fact. Um, now, the major source of, of omega-6 fatty acids in the, in the human diet is, is primarily meat and dairy, but it's because of mainly what we feed the pigs and chickens and, and cows today, um, um, which, which markedly increases the omega-6 content in the meat. Um, corn oil, for example, and oftentimes corn oil is mixed in with feed to fatten the cows up quicker, has an 83 to 1 omega-6, omega-3 ratio. But probably one of the most inflammatory edible oils you can, you can, um, 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 you can consume. Um, the um, um, but we even on a plant-based diet though we see fairly high omega six omega three ratios in many of the edible oils, including olive oil, for example, which is like thirteen to two. So that's still above that optimum five to one or three to one five to one ratio. Um, on the omega three side, um, the, these are we those are also plant derived. Um, you find the high levels in things like pumpkin seeds and and um, uh, flax seed, chia seed, um, uh, hemp seed, even green leafy vegetables. Um, now, people talk about using fish oil as a supplement, but it, but 
But where the omega-3s come from in fish down the food chain is actually from marine phytoplankton and algae, which is, is, is plant-derived. So, so again, both on the omega-6 and the omega-3 side, ultimately, uh, the, the source, is, they're all plant-based um, 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 in origin. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about those sources. So you said uh, for omega-3s, you can find them in, in green leafy vegetables. I'm assuming you're meaning spinach, you're meaning uh-huh. kale. Are there any others there? Yeah. So most green leafy, most, we don't think of, of vegetables having fat in it, but they do. It's not, not very much, but there, but there is fat and it's primarily in the form of, of omega-3 fatty acids, the healthy ones. The, the, the best sources are, are, you know, things like flaxseed, chia seed, and hemp seed. Uh, walnuts also have um, have a fair amount of omega three. Pumpkin seeds have a fair amount of omega three. So, with some diligence, um, it, it's very easy to get plenty of omega threes um, uh, uh, just through the food that we eat. Now, you know, on occasion, and and the, the, I do recommend that some people take a supplement. Um, um, and there's, a, there's some controversy in the kind of plant-based vegan community about the need for doing that. I, I think part of that lies in the fact that we don't pay enough attention to decreasing the omega-6 intake, right? So, so, to, so to bring that, that ratio back into balance, you know, you've got to lower the omega-6, increase the omega-3. So and some people have a hard time doing that because edible oils are so ubiquitous in, in, in our diet. I mean, you can go to Trader Joe's and get a really healthy looking thing of uh, lentil chips, which are, you know, have lots of um, um, edible oil added, fat added. Um, so, um, so, and some athletes take it kind of because it is kind of anti-inflammatory. Um, but again, you don't need to use fish oil. You can, you can take algae-based omega-3 uh, fatty acid supplement. And what you're looking for is one that has about 300, 350 milligrams of the DHA component. Um, and, um, um, now, if you're if you follow kind of an SOS, a salt, oil, sugar-free plant-based diet, um, then you probably because your omega six intake is so low, you probably don't need to worry so much about about a supplement. Um, and so you mentioned omega sixes and oils there. So, what are some other sources of omega sixes that we should be looking out for? Well, it's mainly again, if you they're all plant derived, and these are it's mainly from edible. Um, you know, and, and if so, if you go down the list, like I said, cornels 83 to one, um, um, olive oils is, I think, 13 to two. Um, and then and most of all the other edible oils are, are somewhere in that either uh, or between the two. Right. Um, you know, people talk about what about coconut oil doesn't, you know, or something like that, where there's no omega six in it, but that's all saturated. There's no omega three either. It's all saturated fat, which is not, if you want to use olive oil, I mean, coconut oil, put it on your skin. It's not something we should be ingesting. So, um, um, most, almost all the edible oils though have a fairly high omega six, omega three ratio. There's some other reasons, even for the ones like canola oil, which where that ratio is a little bit lower. There's some other reasons not to be consuming a lot of oil um, um, for, from a health standpoint re- re- relating to nutrient density and, and just the calories from fat and things like that. I want to stick with the fish thing here because there's also, you know, this, this underlying belief that, you know, fish is definitely something that you need to have a healthy heart, keep the ticker beating nice and healthfully. Um, is there something fishy to that claim? And can you have just as healthy of a heart without being a pescatarian? Well, of course. I mean, you know, 
when you eat a piece of fish, we're, you know, the nutrients that we get from the fish, right? So it's protein, fat, there is saturated fat, uh, and then, but, and there's some healthy fats, so maybe three. Where did all that come from? Well, it came from what the fish ate, right? Just like what's in a hamburger came from what the cow ate, or what's in milk came from the, what the cow ate. Well, if you, if you, again, if you go, depending on the, the species of fish and what they eat, if you, if you follow that down the food chain, ultimately, just like in a cow who's eating plants, eating grass, the fish are eating plants in the form of marine phytoplankton and algae. Now, they might eat krill or shrimp, but the shrimp are eating the marine phytoplankton and algae. So ultimately, these are all plant-based, right? Um, and again, you know, to that point, when we think about nutrient density, if, if, if you know, when we have extra money, we want to invest it in our financial future. and We're looking for a positive return on investment for our money. When we think about our calories, we should think about our calories that way. If you have 100 calories to spend in the moment and you could spend it on, you know, a, a healthy oil or a piece of salmon or some broccoli, you know, what's your nutritional return on investment for that? Well, 100 calories of oil is a tablespoon, right? It doesn't take up any space in your stomach. And as I already said, what do you get back? Fat. That's it. No fiber, no protein, no cancer fighting phytonutrients. You know, no um, 100 calories of salmon is an ounce. Doesn't take much space in your stomach. What do you get back from that? Protein, fat. Right. No fiber, no potassium to lower your blood pressure, no healthy cancer fighting phytonutrients, antioxidants, 100 calories of broccoli. There's omega threes, almost as much protein as an egg, lots and lots of fiber. And it's got compounds that have been clinically shown to help prevent many cancers, including colon cancer. So. So, again, when we frame it, when we frame it, reframe oils and or fish through the lens of nutrient density, I think you can make a pretty strong case that, that we just don't need to eat that. And then, and there's a couple other reasons with fish though. So fish is almost all the fish today that's commercially caught, especially the fattier fishes are highly contaminated with heavy metals, um, particularly mercury. Um, and, you know, is eating a piece of fish once a week going to kill you? Of course it's not. Are you exposing yourself to these toxins? Yes, you are. Is it enough to hurt you? Who knows? Probably depends on the source of the fish and such as that. But I'm also, I, there's some also some very serious environmental concerns about the over, about overfishing and, and the depletion of, of, of uh, fish stocks really around the world, seafood stocks. There are some people who believe that if we don't change our current consumption um, and, and, and the fish, the way we in fishing, oh, oh, taking too many fish from the ocean, the fisheries could collapse by mid-century and that, that would have catastrophic consequences environmentally socially um you know around the world so you know t for me i think there's several reasons not to eat fish so there's the environmental reasons the environmental toxin reason you know animals fish probably feel pain which is you know it's not very compassionate and um and we just don't need it all right. Let's uh, let's wrap this up before we open up the doctor's mailbag. And again, you can post your question for Dr. Loomis in the comment section right now or tweet that to us using the hashtag exam room live. So let's dial it back. Let's sum it all up. Let's say I'm a patient coming to you. You've told me to limit the oils and the high fat foods that are really high in those omega six. But if I were to ask you, say, give me your top five plant based omega three sources. What is it that you're going to tell me specifically? Yeah, so it would be you know, adding a couple teaspoons or a tablespoon of flaxseed to your oatmeal in the morning, uh, sprinkling a tablespoon or so of hemp seed on, on a salad, uh, throw or some chia seed, throwing chia seed or flaxseed or hemp seed in a smoothie, 
um, um, you know, using a, you know, lots of green leafy vegetables in your soups and salads and, and things like that. Maybe putting a handful of walnuts uh, um, on your salad or in your in your oatmeal in the morning. Um, that's the way you're going to be sure you're going to get plenty of um, plenty of omega threes. A final note on Miley Cyrus. During the interview with Joe Rogan, she also said that she had followed the strictest vegan diet that you've ever known between the years of 2013 and 2019. But she concluded that she was pretty malnourished during that time and running on empty. Now look, as Dr. Loomis said, it is impossible to say why Cyrus was feeling like that because we don't know exactly what her strict vegan diet looked like. It is very possible that she's also not alone in this boat because so often on the show, we talk about eating a wide variety of foods, of beans and greens and grains and colorful plant-based foods to ensure that we are getting everything that we need. But then if you look at some research, as a matter of fact, most estimates show that Americans, by and large, are falling well short of getting all of the nutrients that they need from food. Less than one out of 10 of us are eating enough fruits and vegetables, according to the CDC. But at the same time, nine out of 10 are eating too much sodium. So let's get a little bit more specific and drill down on these nutrition shortcomings, right? This is from the NHANE study. This reveals that the nutrients most likely to be lacking in the American diet are vitamins A, C, D, and E. Plus you can add magnesium and calcium to that list as well as vitamin K and potassium. So basically, the majority of us have a lot of work to do. And that includes our family, our friends, our loved ones. We can all do better. And so while it's easy for us to break out our claws and sharpen them and go on the attack, really, isn't it more important that we just help each other along and take a healthier path together and keep learning? Speaking of learning, what do you say we raise our nutrition IQs a little bit more right now? Dr. Loomis was kind enough to stick around and answer viewer questions as we opened up the doctor's mailbag on the exam room live. Lots of follow-ups here on Omega-3s, plus questions on B12. How much is too much with that? And can those high levels then become dangerous? Plus some travel tips and how to eat healthy when you're out of the country and we're going to define what a whole food truly is. And no, we're not talking about the grocery store. You ready to prescribe some answers for us, Dr. Loomis? Of course. All right. So this one is actually about B12. Uh, Nyla wants to know, can you talk to us about the daily amount of B12 we should be getting? And what are the dangers then of taking too much of it? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, B12 is a nutrient of concern on a plant-based diet. Now, there is some misconceptions about what B12 really is. 
or where it really comes from. Uh, people perceive it comes from meat and we don't eat meat. We can't get B12. That's not true. Um, B12 actually comes from bacteria that live in dirt. So they're, they're called saprophytic, which means they like dirt. Um, and when we consume meat, we're actually consuming those bacteria that are kind of in and on the, the, the meat that came from the dirt. Um, interestingly, though, um, you know, most cows today are raised in confined feeding lots or CAFOs. And they're, it's very unsanitary and they're not exposed. They don't, they're not exposed to dirt. Um, so most meat, most cows and pigs and even chickens today are actually supplemented with B12 because they're not getting the healthy bacteria. They're the B12 from the bacteria. You know, historically, we didn't have to worry too much about that because we got our food out of the dirt. You know, you go pull up some carrots or gather up some food in the woods and we would kind of shake the dirt off and we'd eat it. Um, and then we got B12. We would drink water that had bacteria in it. Um, um, and, you know, we got these bacteria that made B12 for us. Uh, unfortunately, we have we put so much stuff on our food today, um, you know, pesticides and herbicides. We have and we pollute the waters. We have to scrub all the dirt off. We have to chlorinate the water. So we've kind of lost that natural source. So um, the RDA for for um, uh, B12 is not that much. I think it's like five micrograms a day. So it's pretty low. Now, remember, though, you only absorb about 10 percent of the B12 that we consume. And as we get older, um, um, it becomes, we, we don't absorb it quite as well. Um, there's also a lot of other factors that can influence B12 absorption. For example, a lot of people take uh, medications to suppress stomach acid and we need stomach acid to absorb B12. So that can lower your absorption of B12. Um, so, you know, the kind of the conventional wisdom is, um, and what I found in practice, uh, about 500 micrograms a day supplementally um, for most people will, will get them into that normal uh, range where they need to be. Um, the, the, there are some foods like nutritional yeast, which have B12, but there's not a lot. B, nutritional yeast has about 50 um, micrograms per, tea, I think, tablespoon or teaspoon. So that's a lot of nutritional yeast to consume to get your B12. So the simplest thing is just to take a supplement. Um, um, the many organizations suggest that any, even if you're not plant-based, if you're over 65, because uh, absorption rates go down, that everyone should be taking a B12 supplement. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's what I take. It's, it's about 2,500 to 3,500 micrograms a week. Uh, again, the easiest we can do it once a week, you take one pill a week if you want it, but um, I, I would forget. So I take 500 a day is what I take personally. All right. Do we have another question? Yes, indeed, we do. Uh, a couple of ones on this, actually. Uh, this one from Bulent at 1220 says, I believe cooking would destroy omega-3s in greens. Is that correct? You know what? I do not know the answer to that, but I can find out because I, I don't know. In general, in, in general, um, you know, cook, cooking versus raw is an interesting question. Um, and um and it comes up all the time. And what's interesting about that is there are some nutrients. So take tomatoes, for example. Um, tomatoes have a, 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 a polyphenol called lycopene, which is an antioxidant. It's been shown to help prevent colon cancer. Um, um, I mean, prostate cancer in particular. Um, when, we, when we cook tomatoes, um, the lycopene content goes up, actually. Tomatoes also have a lot of vitamin C. And when we cook when we, when we, when we cook tomatoes, the vitamin C content goes down. So, and that's true for, you know, uh, many vegetables, they, some of the nutrients, uh, the, the concentrations go up or they get activated 
and when we cook and some of them go down. So, so the strategy I use is to mix it up, right? So I might put some raw tomatoes on a salad, but then put some cooked tomatoes in a soup or a stew. Um, I might have raw broccoli as a snack with some hummus and, and then maybe roast some broccoli um, um, or, or you know, cook broccoli in a stir fry or something like that. So in general, um, um, mixing it up um, is important, but I don't know the answer specifically to cooking in omega-3. My, my, it, from what I recall, I, I don't think that that's necessarily true, but, but again, I, we can clarify that. And, and post a response. Yeah, absolutely. We can definitely get an answer out on a future show. Uh, next question comes to us from Josie at 1221. Do omegas help with weight loss? Um, I do not know of any evidence that o- the omegas help directly with weight loss. Um, oh, but by the way, let's go back to the B12 question real quick. Uh, sure. the, the one thing I did not address is what happens if you take too much B12. Okay. Um, so the traditional wisdom has been that, uh, uh, that taking too much B12 probably is okay. A recent study, however, did suggest that, that people who have very, very, very high levels of B12, above a, you know, 1,100, somewhere in there, um, um, have a higher mortality rate. They die sooner. Kind of unclear what the mechanism is. Um, there's some concern it may increase cancer risk. Again, that, that evidence is not very strong. Um, Probably the best evidence around the overconsumption of B12 is acne. Um, there, there is, I think, a clearer association between the overconsumption of, of B12 and, and the development of acne. Um, you know, I, it, it's probably not that big a deal, but the, but again, I monitor levels in my patients and try to keep them within that normal range. All right. This is a good question. I think that a lot of people are going to like this one. There it is. Does the term whole food include things like polenta and peeled apples or potatoes? What right. does whole food mean? So that's a that's a great question. And, um, and and I think it's especially relevant today because as vegan plant based foods have become uh, uh, more prevalent um, on the grocery store shelves and and in and, and the in the minds of the general population, there is sometimes some conflation uh, around that. Um so, you know, um, if, if you think about it, veganism historically comes from an ethical place, a place of compassion. Um, I mean, it's about not eating any products with, that have animal product, any foods that have animal product, not wearing clothes that are made from animals, not using products tested on animals. So it's a compassionate lifestyle. You know, from a health standpoint, however, there are a lot of unhealthy foods that are vegan, right? So white flour is vegan, sugar is vegan, Oreos are vegan, Dr. Pepper is vegan, corn oil is vegan, right? Um, so so um, when people talk about a whole food plant-based diet, it's vegan in the sense that it doesn't contain animal products, but it also tries to eliminate these these. Um, um, these, these more, these very, very highly processed foods. So uh, along that, so there's kind of a spectrum, right. To eating an apple, right. Which is clear, just an apple off the tree, clearly whole food plant-based. Right. Um, and, and, and there's, and then you've got some foods like tofu or polenta or whole grain, you know, whole grain flour, um, which is made from whole foods for the most part. Um, um, you know, tofu, for example, is just, is, is, you just take soy milk 
and you curdle it, um, and then you, you you scrape the curds off and press it in a block, and it's it's um, it's um, it's it's tofu or bean curd, if you see it sometimes on a, on a Chinese restaurant menu. Um, so it's not technically the whole bean, um, but but it's it, but it's not highly processed, like for example, white flour. So you know, again, I, I think that that focusing on foods that are that are the, the less, the least processed foods you can eat, uh, uh, the better, um, you know, incorporating a little polenta into your diet. I, I use polenta. Um, um, and I like it. I don't eat it every day. Um, but, but I think that, that, um, using, you know, foods that are it, just trying to stay as close to whole food, definitely plant-based as possible is going to ensure you the, the greatest health that really, this really gets back to that question I, I talked about earlier about nutritional return on investment, because each, each time you process a food, um, you're taking away potentially some of the nutritional value, whether you're removing some of the fiber, um, you know, uh, just for example, like uh, uh, wheat is a perfect example of that. So, so wheat, a, a grain of wheat has three main components. It has a bran on the outside, which is kind of a protective covering, lots of fiber. It has the wheat germ, which is the embryo of the plant. Um, and that's where the healthy, there's a healthy omega-3s actually there, as well as other vitamins and minerals. And then you have the kernel of the, of the, of the, of the, the grain, which is mainly sugar. And it's called the endosperm. And that, so, so the idea is the drain falls on the ground, the brand kind of, the, 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 the brand acts as kind of a protective covering. The endosperm provides food for the embryo, for the wheat germ, until it can sprout, um, till it can uh, grow roots and sprout leaves to capture energy from the sun. That, that's, and that's like any seed really. So, you know, so when we start to process that grain, we take the bran off, for example, and take the wheat germ out and, and, and take the endosperm and grind it up into flour. Um, you know, that's pretty highly processed. We've thrown away a lot of the nutritional value. And in fact, we've thrown away so much of the nutritional value, we have to enrich it. So when you see the term enriched white wheat, white flour, that's because you've thrown all the vitamins away. They literally spray the vitamins back on with a big sprayer, right? Um, so, um, Oftentimes, and, and because the wheat germ has those omega-3s, which can become rancid, it's not uncommon to see, you know, breads, for example, that, 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 that have had the wheat germ removed so they don't go rancid. And the way that the FDA allows labeling laws, you know, it's, you don't have to have a lot of kind of the whole grain to be called whole grain. So the more whole grain you can get closer to the, to the way the food was grown is is the best right so you know whole grain flour is better than white flour wheat berries are better than whole grain flour um better than white flour etc so um there's kind of a spectrum and trying to stay on this on the whole the whole food end of the spectrum is going to be the most helpful no doubt all right let's see if we can squeeze in two more rapid fire style first one oh this is right up your alley my friend uh this one is from arlene at twelve twenty three. do you recommend any supplements or additional nutrients for older marathon runners and triathletes talking about people 60 and up well being one of those people um myself <laughs> an older triathlon triathlete and marathon runner um you know i not really um um not, not really. Um, I found personally, so, so, so I, for those of you who may or not know, so last summer I turned 60 and to celebrate that I wanted to do something epic. So I did, a, I, I trained for and completed an Ironman triathlon, very intense training, many hours, 
um, and, and needed lots of recovery, you know, to, trying to maximize recovery. Um, and so I, I made very liberal use of certain foods like beets. Um, uh, beets activate nitric oxide, which increase blood flow to muscles. There's some evidence that beets can um, increase your um, uh, endurance uh, aerobic performance by about 10%. So I would beat load before long workouts or before races. Um, I used a lot of uh, um, specific foods for recovery. I made a recovery shake that had um, uh, tart cherry juice and blueberries and kale and and chia seed and turmeric and ginger and black pepper and um, uh, a little maca powder. Sometimes I put a little spirulina in there for some extra omega-3s. Uh, so... Um, and I would drink that. The, the, the tart cherry juice has been shown to prevent uh, delayed onset muscle soreness. Um, um, so, but, but the real key, and again, this, this isn't specific to someone who's 16 over. This is really any, any endurance athlete. Or, um, it's, really about, it's really about keeping your diet as clean as possible because you, you want your diet to be as, you know, exercise is an inflammatory process. And you want to be, make your diet as anti-inflammatory is as possible. And so I, you know, not that I eat unhealthy um, in general, but I can tell you in the eight months that I trained leading up to Ironman last summer, uh, it was about as, as clean as I've ever eaten. Um, uh, again, because I'm trying to really mitigate the, the inflammation I'm inducing in my body uh, through the exercise, through an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, if you will, uh, you know, centered around healthy foods, antioxidants, anti-inflammatory foods, sleep and stress management. All right. Final question. See if you can get to this one in 30 seconds or less. Uh, this one is from Marie on Facebook. Do you have any advice about how to travel to other countries throughout the world and still be able to eat a healthy and plant-based diet? She says that is her biggest problem. Yeah. And that can be a challenge. Um, um, you know, certain, well, first of all, that, that, so that can be a challenge to eat a truly whole food, no oil, plant-based diet when you travel. I, that, it, it, that is true. It's easier. Um, I, I think uh, not only is the interest in plant-based nutrition you know, really skyrocketing here in the United States, we're seeing that worldwide. So it's much easier today than it was even a, a, few, a few years ago. Um, you know, most, most traditional cu cuisines are at least plant-forward. You know, meat and dairy was, was really a, a condiment or flavoring historically. Um, but but I, I understand it can be uh, difficult sometimes to eat completely whole food plant based. You know, my suggestions would be that, you know, there's apps like Happy Cow, uh, which is worldwide um, um, and, and using an app like that to try to find uh, uh, vegan friendly, plant based friendly restaurants in the town that you're in. Um, you know, talking to the if you're going to a nicer restaurant, you know, engaging the chef or the staff and uh, even beforehand. So let them know you're coming there and you don't eat meat. I mean, most most nicer restaurants anywhere you are in the world are more than willing to accommodate you. Um, but I, I think the Happy Cow app, especially is your friend uh, when you travel. And again, that, that does have a worldwide presence. As always, you can join us at noon Eastern, Monday through Friday on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channel for the Exam Room Live. Would love to have you join us. And yes, we will get you an answer to that question Dr. Loomis was talking about in a future episode, so stay tuned. One more nutrition fact for you today. I thought that this one was pretty interesting. If you're getting plenty of vitamin D, 
new research shows that you then may actually be at less risk for COVID-19. In a study of nearly 500 patients, those who went untreated for vitamin D deficiency were almost twice as likely to test positive for the virus. Those are the findings from the University of Chicago, and that study is in line with previous research that showed vitamin D can help to lower the risk of other viral respiratory tract infections. And the study also points out that half of all Americans are believed to be then deficient in vitamin D. And when you think about it, it kind of makes you wonder if that plays into the extraordinary infection rates we've seen with the coronavirus here in the States. It's just one more thing to consider. Obviously, there's a whole lot that goes into it, but perhaps vitamin D is another piece to a very complicated puzzle. Now, coming up on the Exam Room podcast, maybe that's something we'll be talking about when I'm joined by Dr. Kim Williams, renowned cardiologist. He's going to be coming back to the show. We're going to be talking about heart health with him, going to get into nutrition and exercise. They go hand in hand, but can you compare the two? Does one have a larger effect on heart health or is that impossible? This is going to be an interesting conversation and one that ties right into his love of tennis. As we record this, the U.S. Open is in full swing, which means Dr. Williams could not possibly be in a better mood. And we're going to get a ton of phenomenal information out of him learning about heart health and nutrition and exercise, how they differ, how they're similar, how they can work together. And if you have a question for him specifically about diet and heart health, go ahead, drop me a line on Facebook where you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. Hit me up there. Make sure that you use the hashtag exam room podcast, and we will do our best to get you an answer on that show. And really quickly, before we wrap things up today, I just wanted to take a second to say thank you. Thank you so much again for listening because downloads of the exam room in August of 2020 were up 260% compared to August of last year. So thank you so much for helping to make this show such an incredible success. It's so cool to know that so many people are now accessing this information, soaking it up, and then hopefully using it to improve their own health and then taking this inspiration as well and using it to help others. So let's keep this momentum going and get healthy together because clearly, as we have learned, there is still a lot of work to do. But we can, in fact, right this ship. Make no mistake about it, the ship can be righted. So thank you so much for helping us to make the world a little bit healthier, one show at a time. And if you want to take your health to the next level, you can also work with the doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center. Telemedicine appointments are now available in Texas. This is very exciting. You can schedule an appointment if you live in the Lone Star State with the doctors and dietitians who can help you achieve your health goals 
they are here to help. So make that appointment. You can call 202-527-7500 or visit barnardmedical.org to make that appointment and get a full list of states where services are available now in more than a quarter of the country. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you again to Dr. Jim Loomis for being here with us. The man knows more about nutrition than most of us will ever, ever come close to knowing. It's a privilege to have him on the show. So thank you, Dr. Loomis, for being here. And on behalf of everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based. <laughs>